Hi, everyone. Welcome back to History Respawned. On today's episode, we will be covering Not E3 2023. This is covering all of the history game announcements uh, in late May, early June of 2023, a time period that used to be reserved for the big video game conference known as E3, but E3 is dead. Long live E3 in various forms. <laughs> and joining me on this episode is my good friend and colleague, Dr. John Harney. John, how are you doing? I'm good, Bob. How are you? I'm very good. It feels good to be back. History Respawn, mm-hmm. we've been on a hiatus. John, I kept getting messages, direct messages, uh, references on Twitter, on YouTube, asking, when is the show coming back? Are you on hiatus? And oh, I'd be like, no, man. we're not. We're not on hiatus. And then here, yeah. here we are five months happened. later. <laughs> well, can I just say, I think, Bob, I'm sure you agree. We love you too, everyone. We do. Yes, we just, definitely. yeah, this spring, beca- uh, yeah, that's, we were just reflecting before we started recording. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. It's June somehow it's june somehow and i had the best of intentions to come back in march and then in april and then in may but here we are better late than never so right those of you who are new welcome and those of you who stuck with us uh thank you thank you very very much uh this show would not exist without you and your support and uh we are going to go run through uh in reverse order the conferences uh, that we have had recently from the video game world. And we're not going to maybe talk in depth about all the games uh, that made a debut at these conferences, but we are going to talk about the ones that touch upon uh, historical topics and historical themes. And uh, so the shows that we have had recently in reverse order, uh, Ubisoft Forward, Uh, we have had the Xbox Game Showcase, we have had the Summer Game Fest, and we have had the PlayStation Showcase. And in addition to those big conferences, we're also going to run down a list of recent uh, history game announcements that were not uh, promoted at one of these big shows. And, you know, John, it's really weird uh, having the end of E3, right? E3 attempted to come back this year, but uh, eventually they decided because none of the major publishers were on board that they would just cancel uh, this year's mm. show. And so now instead of having one big show to talk about, we have a run back of uh, the summer of 2020 where we have a bunch of little shows. And I guess yeah. that's just going to be the world going forward. It feels very, very odd. Yeah, it almost feels to me like I was going to make the joke. It's like, wouldn't it be great if we'd had this one event where they could all go to and share the together? <laughs> and I guess it's it's been long enough now, Bob. I mean, it's not just a COVID interruption. Like E3 was struggling, I think, back to 15 years ago yeah. where, um, you know, the bigger publishers were always inching towards doing their own thing. Like yeah. Nintendo basically always ignored E3. And for then the most PlayStation part, did the same thing. Yeah. Right. And like, I think back to when, back when GameSpot was Shoemaker and uh, Gersman and all those guys who are now off doing all these different things. When they all, the GameSpot was 20 years ago, I guess. And they would do these live shows from E3. Like, it made sense in that context. But it was also an era of booth babes. Yeah, I don't know if any people, not everyone listening might know what those are, yeah. but they are what they sound like, basically. <laughs> and so, and I don't know. I wonder, I wonder what, I mean, obviously, you and I are both evidence that there's lots of video game fans who aren't like 23 or 18 or whatever. Oh, speak but for I yourself. wonder what our young, speak young, for yourself, yeah. 
I just I don't know. I wonder like if what you know if you're younger or whatever, and you're just you know video game news and everything is a larger part of your diet even than it is for us. I wonder yeah. what people like that prefer. I could see them preferring this week is PlayStation week, awesome, and next yeah. week is Xbox week, and you just get to it's an ongoing month of fun. Maybe that's what it's like. Maybe that's better. I don't know. I. You know, I just think of E3 growing up, reading about it in games magazines, um, you know, thinking about yeah. trying to go. I mean, it was the Super Bowl mm, of video games, yeah. and now it doesn't exist anymore, and that feels very, very odd. Uh, but it's, it may be for the better. Certainly for younger generations, I think they probably probably prefer it this way. Uh, okay, well, let's start by talking about Ubisoft Forward. And Ubisoft, if you're not aware, is the developer of Assassin's Creed. And boy, did they have a lot of Assassin's Creed news at this conference. And so the games uh, that they discussed uh, during this press event included Assassin's Creed Mirage, Assassin's Creed Nexus, Assassin's Creed Codename Jade, as well as Skull and Bones, long in development, long, long in development. Maybe even older than E3 at this point. I'm not sure. Uh, but oh, let's let's God. start by talking about Assassin's Creed Mirage. And so this is the uh, follow-up uh, to Assassin's Creed Valhalla. This is the next mainline Assassin's Creed game, uh, and it is a prequel. Uh, to Assassin's Creed Valhalla, uh, following the character Basim from Assassin's Creed Valhalla, uh, as he uh, is an assassin in 9th century Baghdad. Uh, and this game launches on October 12th, uh, so kind of right around the corner, honestly. Uh, and in the press event, they touted this game as a, quote, back-to-basics Assassin's Creed game, a celebration of the original Assassin's Creed, which came out some 15 years ago, and uh, I'm really excited about this game because it, in the press releases and in the coverage that came out uh, from various video game websites that had a chance to go and see demos of this game, uh, many of them talked uh, in depth about how this game is a callback to Assassin's Creed 1, the stealth focus of that series, and in the words of uh, at least IGN, uh, quote, combat in this game is a backup solution. So meaning that the focus mm -hmm. is going to be on stealth and a shorter game experience. We're skipping the 60 to 70 hour RPG open world, and instead we are going back to a much shorter, less than 20 hour focused experience. John, what do you think of what they showed? I feel the same way. They're kind of they're speaking my language, as it were, particularly the shorter game time. Um, I think the gameplay trailer in particular is just so helpful to really demonstrate what they're talking about. And my two big reactions are, um, I guess you, you get to be Batman in this game, with the, <laughs> the kind of the investigation type stuff. But it really does. I mean, famously, the first game, I'm assuming a lot of people listening have played it, but maybe not everybody because it is an older game now. Famously, the first game is really interesting and cool and fascinating, and then you randomly have to do the shitty combat for the last 30 minutes. Yep. Um, and the combat was never developed, and it was bad. And so it's just really interesting. This game is like a, a, an embrace of that. We did it really well for 90% of that first game we made. Um, I'm intrigued there's this step away from these the three, the mammoth games they've produced the last four to five years. But it all looks good, and I and the cinematic trailer is really fun as well. I kind of... It's hard for you to know. We'll talk about this again when it comes to Codename Jade, because I have some thoughts about that. But um, 
I don't know. I, 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 I'm not from the Middle East and stuff, and it's not my area as an historian, so I don't want to rush into like positive judgments or stuff. But it's a trailer that is it's this city that's alive and you're parkouring around it. And yes, it is a it is Baghdad, but it doesn't it doesn't feel like, you know, I have a colleague here who when his, during his job talk, he uh, he 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 dissected the opening scenes to Disney's Aladdin from the early 90s, oh, interesting. which is this song about, you know, the, the desert is hot and there's all these weird quasi sexual references in a children's movie, you know, because it's the Orient. And that the trailer doesn't feel that way to me for this game. It just feels I don't know. It's hard to explain, like you can see this development they've made as a studio in terms of like we're embracing settings and things like yeah. that. And and it reminded me that Assassin's Creed has always been pretty cool with the choice. They haven't they've rarely made quote unquote obvious historical choices. Yes. Even when even when they've done it it's felt meta, you know, like mm-hmm. like like talking to George Washington and French Revolution, those two games almost feel like off kilter despite the fact they're the most they're theoretically the obvious periods you would go to. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and I'm excited. I'm excited. It makes me excited about the ongoing viability of Assassin's Creed as a whole. Actually, yes, what they're doing. Yes, and I think you know even the most uh, gung ho Assassin's Creed fan of the most recent open world RPG games, I think they would kind of admit maybe it's time to take a little bit of a break, right? Just yeah, let's slow down a little bit. Let's have a more focused experience. And you know, I liked your uh, phrase there of being Batman because this game <laughs> apparently emphasizes investigation and kind of doing reconnaissance on your target before you actually try to commit to the assassination, which was part of Assassin's Creed 1, but is really hammered home in this game where, you know, in the demo uh, that some uh, game press got to play, uh, they said that there is no longer a quest section, but instead that section is retitled Investigations, right? So Mm. you're investigating. So you're a detective. So it's kind of like a Batman-esque situation yeah. just ending with instead of Batman beating somebody up and throwing them in prison instead you hear you're assassinating them with a secret plate. <laughs> <laughs> so slight difference uh, but I was really excited uh, by what I saw uh, really excited by the setting um, and I'm really excited not to have to play a 50 to 70 hour RPG <laughs> Assassin's Creed game. I just, and you know, I still have not finished Valhalla. I was about 30, 40 hours in and I just never, never got back to it. It was too daunting, too much for me. I'm, a, I'm in a trap with Valhalla where um, I've, I've got the complete edition because I want to, I particularly want to go to the Irish DLC, but I'm a weirdo and I won't just skip to the DLC. Yeah. Same. Um, or, you know what I mean? Like, same. I just like, I want to play the game. I want to play yeah. the game they made. But the problem I have is that. Right now, it's called Diablo 4, but there's always something else I'm doing. <laughs> um, sometimes it's my family, but, you know, there's always something else I'm doing. Well, and your I son's just, name is Diablo, yeah. right? So there you go. That's Yeah, yeah well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, I feel relieved. And then, I again, I, I enjoy the cinematic trailer as well. I, I, I God forgive me, I can never remember her name, the actress. She's in The Expanse as the uh, president, one of oh, the best yeah, characters. Yeah. What is her name? Um, she's a wonderful actor, yeah, wonderful yeah, voice yeah. actor as well. Um, and, uh, it's gonna, I'm sorry, everybody that I've forgotten her name. She's wonderful, but, um, you know, they, they, they wisely kind of make her very important in the cinematic trailer and it does. Yes. It's, it's been done a million times, but it's like, this is a street urchin who becomes an assassin and the video, the trailer they've made conveys that really well. Whereas early in the trailer, he's kind of trying to parkour away, but they're kicking his ass. And at the end of the trailer, he's the guy. And and I I don't know I, all the vibes are good from that game which is which is really exciting. Shorei Agadashlu, 
Thank you very much. I'm sure I'm butchering that pronunciation, but she is amazing. I remember her on 24 as well. Uh, But yeah, The Expanse, but just amazing. Just the best voice. An iconic wonderful actor as well. The best voice. Yeah. 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 Um, So, yeah, everything. Mirage is really exciting to me. And uh, it's a mixture of deliberately not finding stuff out, but also just having kids and being busy at work and all the things that kept us away from the podcast for however many months it was. Yes. That I I knew so little about Mirage except that it was going to exist and to be. I'm delighted I'm this excited about it, actually. I'm too. I'm really happy to say I'm excited. I am too. I am too. And, you know. Uh, it's it's particularly great because we just have so long with these RPGs. It's nice to see them kind of going back to basics, and I I hope it I I, I hope it's good. I mean, you know, I hope and, it's good. And and people who played the first game, the very first game, will remember. And I can't remember how long this went on for. I guess a couple of games. Like, and it sounds like they've really deepened this layer to it, which is great. But I I remember that in the first game, really kind of you know, um, uh, what, what kind of stalking around the perimeter. Of a building, trying to figure out how I'm going to get in and get this guy. Yeah. A kind of a little bit of a hitman esque kind of vibe. It's very to it. deliberate. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the pace then, as a result, is slowed down, but not, but in a very good way. So yeah. it's, I'm excited about that. Yeah. 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 All right. And then the next Assassin's Creed game uh, that made a uh, debut with a new trailer uh, was Assassin's Creed Nexus. And so this game is very interesting. This is uh, a partnership between Ubisoft and Meta. Uh, makers of the MetaQuest 2, formerly Facebook, uh, the the Zuckerberg glasses, if you might call them that. Uh, but this is a VR game uh, that is going to star uh, various heroes from past Assassin's Creed games, including Ezio uh, from Assassin's Creed 2, uh, Cassandra uh, from Assassin's Creed Odyssey, uh, and then from Assassin's Creed 3, uh, we've got Connor, uh, the protagonist of Assassin's Creed 3. And so this game, it's a VR game, and that means it's a first-person game. And it is going to include jumping, parkour, and diving off of buildings. And so, John, what was your reaction to this? And what do you think about trying to transplant Assassin's Creed, a third-person game, with all of this parkour and jumping around, trying to transplant in into a headset, what do you what do you think of that? I don't know. I mean, I I I you know, um, Apple is releasing its three and a half thousand dollar headset that I guess it doesn't really plan to sell to anybody. And Zuckerberg well, I mean, made except this... to Center College and Dr. John well, Hardy, <laughs> purposeful no, I think request. That is definitely, that's, that is a bridge too far. <laughs> that's coming, John. John, that's no. coming. That's coming. But um, well, it is funny in education, as you know, Bob. Every year or two, someone's like, let's get some VR headsets and build, you know, Uh a castle or a plantation. It's like, sure, (laughs) sure. Can you give me five years of support and, you know, students to do that? Oh, we can't do that. But anyway, that's a, but Zuckerberg was like, oh, you know, you're on your own and that video and it's, that's not what we have vision at all. And then this, this video for Nexus, or at least one of the videos for Nexus, I mean, what else can you show, right? They show this guy in a headset in his living room and I'm just sitting there going, I would feel stupid if the building was empty. I would feel stupid doing I that's how I feel when I play now. No. Then the other the, 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 the other side of it, like so there's a game I really want to enjoy um in VR, which I've enjoyed a lot of on a regular computer, which is No Man's Sky. Mm. And I've just never I can't get that game to feel right to me when I play it in VR. I just can't. Yeah. yeah. So so beyond that, that that's the that's that's the extent of what I can say about so I'm 
again, I'd love to be wrong. I'm just skeptical about the parkour thing. Then the other part of it is where Mirage is so encouraging. There's such a cohesive, clear vision of what they yes. want to do and what yes. they're doing. And everything about Nexus is like, oh, we've partnered with Meta and we've got characters in all these different games. And, you know, and it's like, uh, okay, so what is the game trying to do? Yeah. A, lot of the, a lot of VR games have that problem, I think. Yeah, I think you're totally right. And, uh, you know, this has been an issue for VR, but particularly for the Quest, the Quest line, Oculus Rift before that. And, you know, the problem is that uh, Meta, well, they used to have a lot of money. And so what they did in order to encourage development is they brought in these AAA studios and just threw them a bunch of money. And you saw this mm -hmm. with EA. Yeah. Uh, you saw this with um, uh, all sorts of studios and now uh, with Ubisoft. And so uh, basically Meta is paying them a whole bunch of money. I'm sure it's an outrageous sum of money to make this game so that they can try to use it to sell headsets. And in my experience, those games tend to be among the worst, mm. you know, meta quest yeah, games. Yeah. And I'm speaking from some experience. I own a meta quest Two. uh, Assassin's Creed Nexus will be on the meta quest Two. I'm sure, uh, the meta quest three was just announced. I'm sure it'll be on that as well. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, it my, is confirmed for that. Yeah, but in my time, yeah. uh, the best VR games that I've played, uh, one of which is Half-Life Half Alex, uh, for mm -hmm. uh, which comes from Steam, and so I have to plug you know my headset <laughs> into the computer. Or I can use virtual right. desktop, but it's not a native uh, MetaQuest game. Uh, and then Super Hot VR, uh, which uh, you know mm -hmm. I don't know the the story of development for that, but that's not one of these games where Meta gave them a whole ton of money. Uh, to develop right. it. Uh, and in those games, they work well because they don't ask you to do a lot of jumping and parkour and diving, mm -hmm. right? It's Those are types of games that it works well with first person because you can kind of uh, use the teleport system. And a lot of VR mm -hmm. games are like this, where in order to mm -hmm. get over uh, moving in VR and kind of the swimmy feel in VR mm -hmm. with the headset on, they use teleporting so you can just zoom immediately to the next spot. Right. And I just wonder if you're using teleporting, that makes sense because you avoid kind of the inertia, the kind of weird, gross feeling uh, of trying to move in VR. But does that really mean it's Assassin's Creed? You know, because I think of mm -hmm. Assassin's Creed and it's parkour, it's jumping, and it's diving off buildings, leaps of yeah. faith. I don't know how that's that's gonna work. I just, I'm just not sure. Um, I'm excited that it includes older characters. Um, and certainly the videos that they showed, I mean, the quality of the game looks pretty good, the quality of right. the visuals, but you know, I don't know. Is it, is it still Assassin's Creed if it's in first person virtual reality? I'm not, I'm not sure. Not, not convinced. I think, I, I think part of VR, VR's problem more broadly is people who are paid or people whose job it is to make this a thing aren't aren't really sure what it is. And I, and I have sympathy for them in that regard because I think there's people out there going, it's just 500 bucks for a good headset. And it's like, well, you're, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, okay. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I think you're, I think you're, I don't, you know, you're in a different tier to the rest of us. That's part of the issue. And then, uh, so this model that Meta is doing, like I'm going to throw money at this problem and stuff will happen. That's what Apple is doing with Apple TV. Yeah. And with Apple TV, if Silo was good and Ted Lasso was a pleasant surprise and yada, 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 and they don't care if there's a couple of lemons here and there, but also because it's TV, the lemons might be totally watchable. They mm -hmm. might like if the production's good and the writing was remotely decent and the performances are good, 
even if it isn't a big hit for them, you know, it's not like embarrassing or anything like that. Whereas in the, the VR game space, then I don't know, like there was a period it's over now where Facebook really wanted to sell me on, Hey, uh, this is a baseball swinging trainer that uses our headset. And that's kind of almost, and I, and if that is, I don't, my son doesn't play baseball, so I don't know, but if that software makes sense and is useful for people, then from the business side of it, of course you want to sell that. But I guess what I'm trying to say is the games seem to be getting lost somewhere in the in the in the middle of all of that. Mm-hmm. Which is what is it what is it you guys want VR to be? So like I repeatedly read people, tech guys, who say VR is kind of exciting when it replaces like your office. <laughs> which is which is useful in very specific contexts. And that's just not what a game For audience enterprise cares level about. executives, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, yes, that's, exactly. That's who's gonna be the market for those Apple headsets and then also john right. harney at center college um, well yeah of course yeah uh real quick right into you, the ctl right now yeah real quick have you watched yeah. silo yet the apple tv show i haven't i would really like to it's I kind of on really we, like we just finished well. succession so i've got it, I've oh. got it lined up to watch oh nice it. Yeah. okay i just finished we'll, yeah. we'll talk after the show a little bit about succession. We'll talk after the show yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh and then the the next game uh last assassin's creed game that was shown uh, at Ubisoft Forward was Assassin's Creed Codename Jade, uh, which is not an awkward title at all. Uh, <laughs> and it is Assassin's Creed mobile game, and it is free mm. to play. And in this game, the setting uh, is 3rd century BC China, uh, which mm-hmm. maybe uh, John Hardy can talk a little bit about. <laughs> but uh, the big attraction here, like a lot of mobile games, uh, is that it's free to play, uh, but also you make your own assassin and this includes uh, different skins, uh, you know, different uh, kind of uh, wardrobe choices, and then, of course, a lot of microtransactions, as you would expect with a mm-hmm. mobile game. So, John, what did you what did you make of this? I agree. I think it looks great. I mean, I think that I think we're in such an interesting space with um, um, with with mobile games now, whereas like mod- modern phones and tablets and stuff can can make a game can 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 run a game that looks comparable to what your PC can do. I mean, especially indie games, like I, I pay for Netflix. And so Netflix has games that you can just play as part of your membership, um, including Into the Breach, which is awesome. And you play it on your iPad and it's like, oh, this is actually better playing on my computer. So the problem I guess they have is the control scheme. It looks great. They focus on Terracotta Warriors. So the Qin Dynasty was around for 15 years at the very end of the third century BC. And the Qin Emperor, so he's the guy who built the Terracotta Warriors and had lots of people, lots of his servants were buried alive when he when he died to serve him in the afterlife, which was a thing that had been happening in Chinese society for a long time before that. And traditionally, he had often been cast as a tyrant. He was one of these emperors who took a lot of scholars, like people like you and me, Bob, and threw them into a pit and killed them. <laughs> Again, not necessarily exceptional in the history Tough of uh, emperors yeah. globally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he wasn't. You know, you know, fake news, basically. So he put them in a, <laughs> he put them in a pit and killed them. Um, but especially in the last twenty years, in particular, the, the current Chinese government uh, really likes to emphasize how successfully he centralized the country and brought mm. stability and order without necessarily opening things up to chaos and disorder. Like you know, that sounds elections. like a very attractive narrative for the current Chinese yeah. government. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then you know, the video, the the trailer really. Yeah, so it really relies heavily on this concept of what is your legacy? What is your legacy? And it's really interesting because it kind of plays into some conservative with a small c stereotypes the rest of the world has about China, but also plays into a kind of a, like you just said, a very convenient narrative that some in China have about China themselves. 
And it ends up being kind of like, oh, really? This is what we're doing? We're going to run around 2,000 years ago and talk about the importance of your ancestors and your family honor and all that shit. Mm -hmm. Just pardon my French, everybody. But <laughs> so, but listen, it, it was a minute-long trailer. I mean, there's a lot that does look exciting. When you have a game like that where you pick your own assassin and you can do all these different things, there's so many ways they can choose to take that. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm mean, I, I, I I'm not saying I'm a, I'm a Guinness, but the... Uh, the trailer was a bummer for those kinds of conservative, and I want to emphasize in the historiographical sense, you know, mm -hmm. reading of this is what China is like. Well, it's that's deeply uninteresting, <laughs> and you know what I mean. It's yeah, just yeah, yeah. like, yeah, oh yes, course. you know, a, a land of a land of ancestors, and you know, and uh, oh, for God's sake, I don't know. That was disappointing to me, but uh, but we'll see. I mean, yeah. we'll see. That was just the very first look we got at it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I. I don't mind Diablo Immortal. I haven't played it in a long time, but I don't mind it. Mm -hmm. um, but people hated people hated that game. So, yeah. so like all mobile games, it's gonna a lot's gonna depend on what it actually yeah. what they do with it. You I know? mean, yeah, it makes sense. I think the setting is very smart by Ubisoft thinking about mobile game market, but then also particularly the market in Asia where yeah, this would totally. be very attractive. And they're much more common to have mobile technology rather than to have a console. Yes. And then totally. also, you know, kind of think about younger players and creating avatars. And, you know, this is all of Fortnite's business, basically. I, you know, basically every free-to-play game you can think of is around right. creating your own character, uh, mm -hmm. buying new skins, uh, which still is a phrase that uh, bothers me a lot. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, common nomenclature for those types of games. So this makes, this is a very smart business move for Ubisoft. Not that I really care about their business, but you can see why yeah, totally. they've done things the way they have. And, you know, I, I think there's some potential here and, you know, certainly potential for covering this for History Respawn, if for nothing, no other reason than to kind of bring up the points that you just did uh, in more detail once we've got a, yeah, a better totally. read on what the game is. And so this is a game that is going into beta, uh, open beta, later this month, later this June. So that's it's really soon really exciting uh to wow. have some new opportunities to play some new assassin's creed uh here very shortly uh and then rounding things off <laughs> sorry i just keep laughing every time i read this <laughs> rounding things off for the ubisoft forward in terms of historical games uh we have gotten a new update about skull and bones a game which has been in development for nearly oh, 10 goodness. years uh that was using the naval uh ship technology uh, from Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag, uh, which again came out about 10 years ago, 2013, 2014, somewhere in there. Uh, that game is going into closed beta uh, this summer, later in August, I think the weekend of my birthday, August 27th. Um, so maybe I'll maybe I'll contact Ubisoft and see if I can get into that closed beta just to kind of finally <laughs> see what this game in development hell is. Uh, is like uh, but again the setting for that one uh kind of 18th century uh and i think it's indian ocean uh is the focus so it's not uh, pirates of yeah. the caribbean but it's kind of a, a new setting uh, at least in terms for games new setting for piracy so i don't know we'll see i i'm not sure but uh, i'll be curious to see what comes out of that uh, and then it, any yeah. any thoughts on Skull and Bones real fast or? Yeah, just file it under. We'd love it if it was good. Wouldn't yeah. that be great? Yeah. That's all. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, then real briefly, other games that were announced uh, by Ubisoft here include uh, Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown. And this is going to be a 2D Metroidvania. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
uh, in parentheses on our running list, our running agenda here, uh, I've kind of connected these games, these new games, with uh, past Ubisoft products mm-hmm. because you can mm-hmm. see the clear influence on them. So Prince of Persia, this is a 2D Metroidvania that's very much in the style of the Assassin's Creed side-scrolling games. There was three of those that came out last decade. And then we have Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, which is a game that looks exactly like any recent Far Cry uh, you've played. Uh, and then lastly, and probably most excitingly, Star Wars Outlaws, uh, which mm-hmm. is an open world RPG in the style of the humongous Assassin's Creed RPGs that have come out in the last five years or so. So any any thoughts on any of those, John? Yeah, I mean, um, well, for really quick, Star Wars Outlaws to me, it's in the outer rim and everything. And I, I've gotten to the point where I've, when it comes to Star Wars, I have two ends of a spectrum. One end is the Phantom Menace, that's the bad end, and the other end, <laughs> the other end is Andor, which is the is my new high point. And this is much more towards Andor, and it's kind of interesting. The Prince of Persia game, I've written down beside it. I, I'm sorry, listeners, for making this the old man podcast these days. I've written Xbox Live Arcade. Do you remember that? Yes, of course. That is an Xbox Live yes. Arcade feeling game, yes. and I mean that as a compliment. Um, I, the Prince of Persia game was cool, actually. I, I think that could be really good. Yeah. Um, Avatar, I, I don't know, yeah. shrug emoji. Yeah, <laughs> Star Wars Outlaws Outlaws looks good. And open question, actually, if we would end up covering that. I mean, I could see, I could totally see it because it. I, I mentioned Andor because, yeah, I mean, I there's there's so much room in Star Wars to talk about, and we'll talk about this with a couple of games in in the second half of the episode. Uh, con- uh, sorry, uh, context of revolution, mm-hmm. social movements, all that kind of stuff. I wonder how much that game will get into that kind of. It seems like it wants to get into that business. I just wonder how much it will. Yeah, we'll see. I've got some. Yeah. As a historian of empire and revolutions, I have complicated feelings about Andor uh, and what they're doing in that show. So maybe yeah, yeah, after yeah. the episode, we can we can talk right. a little bit about that. But it would be like these YouTubers that have their actual YouTube, like their woodworking YouTube <laughs> channel, and then the personal. So we'll we'll have it. We'll do a second podcast. Well, yeah, sure. Yeah. No, we're not. With whose we'll time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, well, let's move on. That's the end of uh, Ubisoft. And so uh, continuing in our re- reverse order, uh, let's see, about a week and a half ago, we had the Xbox Game Showcase. Uh, and this included a set of historically themed games that uh, were either developed by Xbox or were in partnership with Xbox, but will probably appear Uh, on other platforms. Uh, So the first one of these uh, is a game called Clockwork Revolution, which is a first-person RPG that has time travel elements, and the immediate reaction of the video game world to this game is, is this Bioshock Infinite 2? Because this game, its art style is turn-of-the-century, very inspired by... Uh, kind of steampunk, steampunk fiction, uh, Art Nouveau all over the place. Uh, and then also the characters and some of the powers that are included in this game mm. very much evoke almost copy and paste fashion Bioshock Infinite. So, John, what did you make of this debut? Oh, I've written... I've written beside it, very excited. I wrote, um, and also Bioshock Infinite. I actually, I'm very excited about it. Um, it looks, it's, it's very much my jam. I think Bioshock Infinite was there were that game had its limitations, but I also thought that game was super interesting in a way that a lot of games weren't at that particular point. And uh, what he was trying to do tonally, a lot of it, a lot more of it came off than you would have expected. And 
as an historian, it had some really interesting ideas about how to interpret our history and things like that. So all of that excited me. I also get some interesting vibes. Do you remember the game, Sir, You Are Being Hunted? Yes. Bob? Yeah. yeah, you know, these kind of, you know, posh Victorian robots are hunting you to kill you. And it has a little bit of that in there, too, of this kind of, if they can get that right, you know, of this kind of late 19th century genteel murder robot vibe, <laughs> um, that could be a lot of fun. Um so yeah, I'm excited about that game. I think it looks cool and interesting, and we'll talk about Lamplighters League in a few minutes as well. Um, I don't know this this idea of social movements revolutions comes up again. I yeah. kind of I think that where Clockwork Revolution intrigues me in the trailer. If people haven't seen it, and you should totally go watch the trailer. They talk about all it takes is one cog out of alignment, etc. And you're the cog, and I'm like, yeah, this seems to me like a good mixture of the classic video game hero fantasy with social disorder yeah. type stuff you know and you know i think and bioshock infinite does this quite a bit too and you know victoria 3 recently from paradox mm-hmm. does this quite a bit and it kind of tackles one of these big questions of the 19th century late 19th century which is how does industrialization influence the social order and so you've got this era that's dominated by traditional hierarchies aristocracy sometimes very feudalistic orders but now being met with the industrial era, social movements, Marxism, uh, classical liberalism. And so how does that, you know, relate to uh, the order of the land, right? How does that relate mm-hmm. to, um, you know, the uh, the franchise, you know, and who belongs to uh, the voting groups? And so a lot of that, uh, you know, it's it maybe is it kind of harkens back to Bioshock Infinite and some of these other steampunk games. But a lot of that does come out of legitimate historical questions and concerns that get addressed uh, at, either at the the end of the 19th century or the very beginning uh, of mm-hmm. the 20th century. So a lot of grist for the history respawn mill, I think, uh, with that game potentially. Uh, let's go ahead. And, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, sorry, I'm sorry. Very quickly as well, there, another thing I think, maybe I'm being too kind, I don't think I am, of course, but from the trailer for Clockwork Revolution, there's this kind of, um, there's a privileged class, very obviously, in this game world, and I don't know, I think that game makers are getting a, a, a more sophisticated understanding of what privilege looks like in, for example, the late 19th century than we had even when Bioshock Infinite was made. Do you know what I mean? Like there's this scene of this character, he's effectively on a kind of a palanquin type thing of these robots moving him along on a little walking thing. And it's like, yeah, you're actually starting, I really feel you're getting it now. This is how certain classes were successfully elevating themselves above others. Well, and- That's the kind of, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, speaking just from my own American perspective, uh, one of the questions I often have for my students is, are we in a new Gilded Age, right? Mm -hmm. Is this the next Gilded Age? Are we in it right now? And yeah. uh, so there's there's a lot of that perspective, I think, that might be driving some of this game development in terms of narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Why are we totally. all of a sudden so fascinated with the late 19th century? Oh, income inequality, desperate struggles over the social order, who controls the yeah. narrative. Um, you know, it's it's like Benedict it's all Anderson there. all there and all over again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well, let's go ahead and transition to Lamplighters sure. League. I had this third on the list, but let's, let's move it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the the other big uh, game trailer, historical games trailer that debuted was uh, from uh, Paradox, uh, who are the publishers of a new game uh, called Lamplighters League. Uh, and I think we might have touched on this a little bit uh, in the fall mm-hmm. for History Respawn. Yeah. But in case you're not familiar, listener, uh, this is a real-time strategy 
uh, game with tactical turn-based combat. And so if you go online and watch the debut trailer, gameplay trailer, you're going to immediately look at this and say XCOM, right? It's very mm-hmm. much kind of an XCOM game with kind of some real-time strategy elements in the overworld uh, outside of combat. Uh, and this is a game that's set in kind of an alternative history version of the 1930s. Another popular topic for upcoming games is the interwar period. I wonder why. Uh, We've got a kind of action-adventure feel that evokes Indiana Jones, uh, Sky Captain the World of Tomorrow, Buck Rogers, and then Flash Gordon, uh, my personal favorite. So, John, what did you make of what we saw uh, new uh, from Mm Lamplighters League? Yeah, I mean, I'm excited about this game, and I think it looks good. Um it's weird in my brain and it's just even though it's a very different game uh the kind of genre and the theoretical time period has to think of empire of sin that romero game Mm -hmm. that i that i really wanted to be good and then i personally i'd never really quite got into that game which i I wanted to um i get a big league of extraordinary gentlemen vibe out of it that that, that old movie and yeah Yeah. um and i sean connery's last film actually yes right (laughs) He went out. He he died as he lived. Making, <laughs> no, he didn't. He made much better movies than that. But um, and then I never read the books of that. But I I I don't know. I love this. It's got that Avengers type. It seems to me. Let's get the band together. But also, it's quirky and weird. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. It 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 looks really promising and exciting. And then also, you mentioned Flash Gordon and stuff. There's this is an area actually, Bob, where I'd love to hear what you think, because you're you, if they successfully channel that kind of interwar kitschy comic strip but kind of for young for men or you know indiana jones as well right was that was spielberg's attempt to recreate right. the stuff he loved as a kid if it can tap into that in an interesting way that could be really fun yes and yeah you know i think that uh, one of the things that i've noticed is that we've had this general turn in games historical games in particular uh, where we've become more interested in the interwar period which i think kind of reflects some of what we talked about with Clockwork Revolution. You know, it's like, why are developers mm-hmm. more interested in late 19th century politics? So it's like, well, maybe we're living through it. And then with regards to the interwar period, why are we having developers create more games, um, you know, like Inkle Studios Overboard? Why are we having more games set in this time period? I think it has a lot to do with kind of current political crises around mm-hmm. the world and concerns about fascism uh, in particular. Uh, and kind of seeing a lot of similarities to the world of uh, the 1920s, 1930s. Uh, and so you know, I'm very excited about this game, not only as a player, because I really like XCOM. And I would love to see, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's not directly developed by Paradox, but it's published by Paradox. So I'd like to kind of see mm-hmm. their version of kind of XCOM combat uh and then also, uh, as a historian, really interested to see a new take on the kind of kitschy, uh, pulpy uh, 1930s, mm-hmm. uh, you know, look at um, society. And uh, yeah, I, I'm excited. So it says it's coming on October 3rd. Uh, Clockwork Revolution, by the way, doesn't have a release date yet. I would imagine maybe sometime next year. Uh, but Lamplighters League is coming out uh, this year, and it is going to be a uh, Game Pass Day 1 game. So if you've got uh, Xbox Game Pass, uh, then you'll get that game uh, first, first day it comes out. So I'm, I've, got, I've got a lot of, lot of excitement, a lot of enthusiasm uh, for that game. 
real quickly, in brief, uh, some of the other games mentioned uh, at the Xbox Games uh, Showcase uh, included a new DLC for Cyberpunk 2077. This is a game that John very adeptly mm-hmm. uh, covered for History Respawned. Uh, and so Cyberpunk 2077 has got a new DLC called Phantom Liberty, and this looks like a really big size portion of DLC with a major narrative uh, that is going to star not just Keanu Reeves, but then also Idris Elba. So mm. uh, pretty excited about that. Uh, we also had the debut uh, trailer for the new Fable game. Uh, this time, uh, you know, outside of the reach of uh, Peter Molyneux, but kind of <laughs> evoking the same kind of... Uh, Lion's Head versions of Fable from back in the early 2000s. Uh, And then lastly, but definitely not least, is Starfield, uh, which is Bethesda's new open-world RPG in the style of uh, the Elder Scrolls game Skyrim, uh, but then also Fallout. Uh, And that game is coming to us September 6th, and that uh, is a spacefaring, hard sci-fi uh, open world game where you get to build your own spaceship and that sounds pretty dope to me john any any thoughts about any of those remaining games um yeah i mean a lot of cyberpunk 2077 is was a game that frustrated but also promised i don't know it, i i have i enjoyed a lot of time with that game but was annoyed by it yes. and couldn't finish it because it just bugged and i couldn't finish the game mm. which was kind of part of the problem the game had that's exciting fable starfield i'll just say i'm i'm excited and i'm hopeful and let's just see fable looked like a lot of fun i love the tone there's a trailer out there with richard ayoade who is this english comic actor who's really good um it crowd yeah it crowd is his big thing and he's very funny and uh there's a trailer where he is the central of the trailer and i just love the tone of the trailer as the hero is traveling through this community and everyone's just just is so tired of her bullshit you know that's just such a <laughs> and it, it, it fits that kind of british uh you know yeah. humor a british certain british kind of humor that the original fable games had because of course molyneux british so um and i would love now again i feel like an old man because the first fable is like a 20 year old game isn't it yeah uh yeah i think it so, came out 2003 uh, <laughs> 2002 on the so. on the original the og uh, the original xbox. xbox yeah and i i had so much fun with the first fable game and I would love a good fable. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. And it looks like fun. Yeah. And, and and we would definitely, I think, cover it and maybe get somebody in for sure to talk to us about the yeah. things it's playing with. Yeah. And maybe uh, somebody who's an expert on British humor. I think that that would kind of yeah. fit. Yeah, yeah, And maybe yeah. even talk a little bit about the older games because uh, it's got that very kind of, uh, yeah, British humor uh, mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of bent to it. Uh, okay, well, let's move on to talk about Summer Games Fest, which didn't include any trailers uh, for any history-focused games. I think there was uh, maybe a trailer for Assassin's Creed in there. Uh, but this event uh, did uh, have a few games that were maybe of interest, uh, primarily to uh, the oldies uh, in our audience, including <laughs> our two hosts here. Uh, this included uh, John Carpenter's Toxic Commando, uh, which looks mm-hmm. like a left for dead uh, style co-op game where you're fighting uh, zombies uh, some sort of mutants uh, john carpenter being one of the great american uh, genre directors film directors yes. of the late 20th century maybe the entire 20th century let's just go and let's go ahead and crown yeah, him let's give him that he's yeah. a king uh we've also got a, a detailed look at alan wake 2 uh, which was a uh, another kind of uh, original Xbox, or I should say Xbox 360 production from Remedy, 
Uh, and this is uh, Remedy's follow-up game to uh, Control, uh, which came out about mm, four or five years ago. Uh, so interest mm-hmm. in that. Uh, then also we had a, a trailer uh, for uh, the live-action Twisted Metal TV show, uh, which <laughs> looks fascinating, uh, starring uh, Anthony Mackie, uh, who uh, you might know as uh, the new Captain America uh, for the MCU. Uh, he will be starring in this Twisted Metal TV show uh, that is going to come out later this year. So we'll see. Uh, Twisted Metal, one of my uh, favorite game series, at least from the original PlayStation. I'm dating myself really terribly there. <laughs> but uh, I always felt, as a young teenager, I always felt that that game would make for a great TV series. And now I get to see if that actually happens. So, John, any yeah. thoughts about Toxic Commando, Alan Wake, or Twisted Metal? Uh, just to say, yeah, Twisted Metal is funny. It's just, it's it's really, that game is of such an era. Yeah. You know, of a, of a, it's even difficult to, difficult to explain yeah, the under forties wouldn't get it, you know. Kind of, <laughs> it's, that, it's that thing. Um, I think, uh, um, uh, yeah, the Toxic Commando trailer—they have a Bon Jovi cover in it. It's very on brand, and mm. it, that that game's going to come down to if it's fun to play or not. And apparently, Carpenter plays a lot of video games. He so does. Maybe he just, you know. Yeah, he's a big then, fan uh, of Dead Space in particular. Yeah, and then I, I really liked the first Alan Wake. I know a lot of people did. But it's really interesting to me because you watch the trailer, which looks interesting, and it's such a kind of a... It's obviously a callback to the first Alan Wake game, but, I mean, all I can think of watching that trailer is control, control, control the whole way through the trailer. So Alan Wake is super exciting and i, um, I st- yeah, yeah i still want to cover control for history respawn i don't know if i'll do it but i wanted to get somebody who's uh maybe an architecture expert 20th century architecture expert to talk about brutalism uh and yeah. kind of looking at the brutalist structures uh in that game uh and i would I, I don't know how you feel i would love to go back and replay control um I I really enjoyed that game. I thought that was really a nice I was experience. Just, I was thinking that the other day. I mean, I yeah, I'd be excited to do that as well. And there's also a, a different slant, and maybe we wouldn't go near it for a few different reasons. But like, there's also the sense of the FBI and conspiracy theories and yeah. fears of states and yeah. state power. And you're right because Control is definitely doing that as well, yeah. um, in ways that are interesting. Yes. And then, I, as I understand it, Alan Wake and Control are in the same fictional universe. Yes, or something they are. like that. Yes. Yeah. And then in Alan Wake 2, in particular, it seems that they're hinting very strongly that you're effectively... Because I think you're playing an FBI agent in that mm-hmm. game, it seems. Mm-hmm. It's part of it. And you're locked inside this narrative that Wake has created. So that's... Which which is part of the first game, of course. But yeah, that's intriguing. So... Yeah, yeah. I, I really did not care for Alan Wake myself, the first one. But post-control, I feel like maybe Remedy has figured out some things that make me excited about this second Alan Wake game. So I'm, yes. and I love, I love the world. I love the world building that they do. It's just kind of the game itself. Alan Wake one, yeah, not a big fan, but I'm really interested to see uh, Alan Wake two. Um, yeah. Okay. So that does it for the summer game fest. Uh, let's move on to uh, our last show, which was the first show uh, at the beginning of June, which is the PlayStation showcase and the PlayStation showcase. Uh, didn't have a very serious uh, historical bent, although there was uh, a couple a couple games that caught our eye, including a Metal Gear Solid 3 remake, uh, which debuted 
at the PlayStation Showcase, but uh, will be on uh, multiple platforms, PC and Xbox included. Uh, and Metal Gear Solid, uh, famous uh, Kojima series. Kojima is no longer, uh, you know, with Konami, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, publisher of this game. Uh, but this is a remake of uh, Kojima's Metal Gear Solid 3, and this is the uh, historical uh, Metal Gear Solid game that is set in the Cold War. I think it's set in the late 1960s. And this is a game that I have been meaning to play uh, for years and years and years and years, and I just never got around to it. And I guess now I'll just wait for the remake to come out. <laughs> uh, so, John, do you have any memories of Metal Gear Solid 3? Is this something you played back no, in the day? I'm in exactly the same boat. I didn't play anything between Metal Gear Solid and Metal Gear Solid 4. Mm-hmm. I missed 2 and 3 completely. So I'm actually quite excited about that collection. I always, I've always, i always felt... Um, I don't know what to feel about the new Metal Gear game, honestly. Yeah. Because um, I, I never thought of myself as a Kojima fan at all. Um, but I loved Death Stranding. And then, you know, you start... like oh, I find myself... I'm teaching Modern Japan this fall. And I find myself talking Metal Gear Solid, particularly Metal Gear Solid 4... Um, which is, you know, old Solid Snake and everything, and he's just tired, and he's kind of ruminating on, oh, crap, this war thing is going to happen no matter what I do. And so the Metal Gear Solid universe where there's this corporate element to things, but, you know, Hideo Kojima is a Japanese man who grew up in a post-war Japan. Like, that affects everything he's ever made. Yeah. Um, so I, I would really look forward to playing 2 and 3, because are, are they both, is it 3 is set in the Cold War, or 2 and 3 are each, I can't remember. 3 is the Cold War one, right? 3 is the Cold War one. 2, yeah. as far as I know, that's the one that's set just after Metal Gear Solid. And so the only yeah. Metal Gear game that I've played is actually Metal Gear Solid on the original PlayStation back mm-hmm. in 1995. And I have, you know, watched videos, I've seen reviews, read reviews for the other Metal Gear games, but I've never played any of them. Uh, mm-hmm. And I always meant to do a history respawn on Metal Gear Solid Five. Never did that. So well, right. maybe maybe three will be the one that we we finally get to it. Uh, who knows? But uh, I yeah. know I know two is device, divisive because you actually play most of the game as a, as a character that isn't Solid Snake. Famously, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, but three is interesting to me in this kind of Cold War kind of vibe to it. But yeah, the Metal Gear Solid series had a lot to say about global conflict. It was clearly influenced by a guy who, you know, for people probably know this, but it's it's in Japan's constitution. They're not allowed to have an army. They don't permit themselves to have an army. Yeah. Technically, um, which is... We'll is see if that... Your ground. Yeah. yeah, we'll see if that continues going through the 21st century. I'm very curious. Uh, yeah. yeah, but in the 70s when Kojima's a younger man, you know, your Japan is a place that... You know, it's the only country, and hopefully will forever be the only country that suffers a nuclear attack. Um, it's uh, it's a country that was 100% under this American security umbrella. Yet, for example, Vietnam, the Vietnam War was enormously divisive within Japan, Japanese society. Yeah. And sometimes those things are referenced directly in his game. Sometimes they're referenced obliquely. So I'm looking forward to playing those games for the first time. Yeah, if we're taking but, you know fiction and fiction writing, genre writing as a whole, I mean, Hideo Kojima is arguably the most important Japanese author of the late 20th century, if you're thinking collectively, uh, including those games. uh, And, you know, kind of thinking at a meta level what he has to say about society. uh, It's very interesting. Maybe a little long-winded, given some of the cutscenes in Metal Gear Solid (laughs) 4 in particular, but, you know, that's that's just the nature of the beast. it's so funny because he's so indulgent and everyone's okay with it. And it's just, 
you know, including me now. It used to bother me, and I'm like, you, you, you be you, buddy. You do you. And it's just, yeah. You do you, and yeah. it's just, I don't know, it's good for him, yeah. Uh, and yes, then let's see. And lastly, at the PlayStation Showcase, we had an extended look at Spider-Man 2, uh, which is just exciting because the other Spider-Man games are so great, uh, Spider-Man 1 and then Miles Morales. And then lastly, now that PlayStation, Sony owns Bungie, we got a look at Bungie's new game, which is their oldest game, and it is a new version of Marathon. And Marathon, <laughs> for you young listeners, Marathon was Bungie's first game, which debuted on Macintosh computers back in the mid-90s during the rush to create Doom clones, uh, clones of Doom 1, Doom 2. Uh, Bungie, their first game was a, a Mac-based first-person shooter called Marathon, uh, which I had the great pleasure to play on my mother's Apple computer back in 1995, 1996, and it was Mac really enjoyed. It was Mac only at first, yeah, and I yeah. greatly enjoyed that game. I thought it was very good, and uh, I I could never understand why Bungie never went back to that, and instead they did all this Halo stuff. I just was not that interested initially <laughs> in Halo. I was like, where's Marathon, right? Let's get some more Marathon games, and now... Here it is. Marathon's back. 1995 is back, baby. I'm telling you, I, 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 I know I'm going very, I'm going to go very meta with this. Why not? Because Bungie are such an interesting company to me because Halo was just such a big part. Halo makes the Xbox viable in a lot of ways, you know, and that makes Microsoft viable in the game space because they just weren't like they'd been trying and it was they had micro pros, I guess, but it wasn't really a thing. And what strikes me, I think the trailer for Marathon is super exciting. But it's just interesting to me, the visual language they're choosing to use, the audio choices they've made, the music and everything else. Yeah, like, it's just, I don't know, it's just intriguing to me that, that games have just, the language of games has just changed so much. Yeah. Like, if you go back to that first marathon in this new trailer, it's like, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's 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 weird, because when, we, when, we, when you and I were younger, Bob, video games were something that very few people older than us seemed to give any legitimacy to at all. Absolutely. And... Lots of people liked video games, but in terms of like a cultural footprint, it didn't. There wasn't that comfort level of of exploring what that meant and what games mean. And, and we're in such a different world now. Where yeah. ma the marathon trailer, people should go and watch the trailer if you haven't seen it. It's just interesting to me. It's just like we're we're having a bit of fun, and it's a little bit abstract, and we're deliberately making color choices that are different, but we're hinting at a really deep story. Yeah. And I like Destiny. A lot of people don't like Destiny. I like Destiny too. I would be excited about them having a single-player story-heavy game. That would be a very exciting to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, well, that does it for the big tentpole uh, press releases and shows. And now I'm just going to kind of run through quickly a bunch of other history games that were announced, uh, not necessarily these past few weeks, but in the spring, basically, since we haven't been broadcasting <laughs> History Respawn yeah. uh, during a hiatus. So some of these games are old announcements, which you've probably heard of already, but we'll just kind of run through them here. Uh, first one is a game called Airborne Empire, uh, which is a city builder that has got kind of a uh, interwar period aesthetic, including Sky Pirates. Uh, looks kind of fun. Uh, we have got uh, Classified France 1944, uh, which is a turn-based tactics game, uh, which is set behind front lines uh, in uh, France, I believe. Uh, oh, yeah, it is Classified France. I was right. Um, <laughs> set behind front lines uh, during the Second World War. Uh, we also have the uh, debut trailer of the new Total War game, which is set 
in ancient Egypt, and it's called Total War Pharaoh. Uh, this is the uh, follow-up from the team that developed Total War Troy. And what's interesting about this game, John, is that it is not mythical. Uh, so Total War Troy obviously included a lot of info uh, and kind of godlike characters, demigods, and uh, you know divine powers. And this game is going to be kind of hard history of uh, ancient Egypt, of dynastic uh, Egypt. Uh, and then we have next game, The Pirate Queen, mm-hmm. a forgotten legend. Uh, and this is mm-hmm. a puzzle adventure VR game. Uh, that will star Lucy Liu uh, as the famous uh, 19th century Chinese pirate Cheng Shi. John, is mm-hmm. do you have any thoughts about this? So Cheng Shi has been in the news a lot. A lot of uh, YouTubers have picked up on her story. Uh, there's been a lot of podcast series about her, a lot of recent <laughs> popular history books about her. We're, yeah. at a, we're in the midst of a Cheng Shi moment. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about the pirate queen. Uh I, you know, I typed Pirate Queen into YouTube to see the trailer and uh, Google's algorithms were like, oh, we know what you want. You know, like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> here, here, here are some, here are some quote unquote Halloween outfits. And oh, like, oh, no. no. Here's, that's my next two weeks of my wife going, what's that? Like, oh, <laughs> no, but I'm joking. Um, it, that did happen, but I, I'm but, uh, um, I don't know. It's weird. Puzzle VR. There's lots of things we can put together there that I'm not sure they're going to go together. Um. I mean, the historical figure is an interesting one. She was a very, I don't know a huge amount about her. Um, she was very a very powerful person who ends up negotiating effectively, or, you know, back get back into the fold and everything. But she's turn of the 18th into the early 19th century pirate. And you mentioned earlier, you know, Skull and, is it Skull and Bones in the Indian Ocean? Yes, or yes, that's yeah. correct, yeah. I, I mean, that's exciting to, I think a lot of games have been exploring what piracy is in the Caribbean and it's not just hey ho away we go and all like there's interesting ideas about how these people are organizing and how to understand piracy's economic activity as well mm-hmm. as the military activity mm-hmm. and everything else and that's certainly a thing in East Asia it, particularly that time period like piracy is a big thing that the states in the area that Japan Korea and China all had to deal with in some way and weren't always able to deal with. And so yeah. she's an example of that, of like they couldn't, realistically, they weren't able to do anything about her. They don't have a Navy in that modern kind of a sense. Um, so, yeah, I'd be really intrigued. I don't know what a puzzle VR game is, really. Um, yeah. I sound so down. I'm, I shouldn't be. It, <laughs> I, it, but it, I, I know it's exciting. It's an exciting choice. And you get a, Lucy Liu is a very recognizable name, and I suspect she'll do a fantastic job. And so... The trailer is so vague. They clearly yes. haven't got a lot done on it yet. Yeah. I think fine. We're, we're far away from that, but you know, yeah, yeah, totally. Worth but yeah, very promising. Yeah, great, great choice. I mean, it's a great choice of topic. I think yeah. it's just a good. Yeah. It's just a great sub. So yeah, fingers crossed. It's awesome. Yeah, uh, and then some other recent announcements include Nova Rome, uh, which is a Rome mm-hmm. city builder, uh, and in this game, it looks very chill, but it also looks like it's got a lot of disasters uh, related mm-hmm. to city builders. If you played SimCity, I'm sure you're kind of familiar with that mechanic uh, in, uh, that are related to the Roman gods and pleasing the Roman mm-hmm. gods. And so uh, that game uh, kind of relates, related to Summer Game Fest. There were some trailers for that, so uh, I'd be interested to see where that goes. Uh, and then also we have a game uh, called Ecumen Aztec. Uh, which is a survival RPG set during the Spanish conquest of the Aztec Empire. And this game um, has got some interesting trailer moments, uh, <laughs> and, and it's got a very Assassin's Creed feel to it. Yeah. 
Yeah, that looks really interesting. I mean, I think that like um, it's uh, you know, you're you're you're, you're I, from what I can gather from the trailer, effectively the the Spanish have kind of just got there, or mm -hmm. in the process of of. Of course, they were there, and then they were there not there, and they were hanging out for a long time, and then they escalated, right? So yeah. it seems like the escalation has just happened. That's a hell of a euphemism I just used, escalation, <laughs> for what they do to the city of Tenochtitlan. <laughs> so it's, it looks like you're trying to kind of stay the course and keep your head afloat in this. So that, that's a super interesting um, premise. I'm intrigued to see what they do. I noticed that blood sacrifice is part of the leveling up mechanic, mm -hmm. apparently. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, mm. <laughs> like, let's, <laughs> let's see where we go with that. Um, mm. But again, yeah. another, you know, we, I mean, for God's sake, Bob, for, for years, you and I have been saying to respond, um, this idea that you, you, you can only cover certain topics or you shouldn't cover certain topics just because game players won't be interested. It's, that's just, that's, we said that, we've been saying that's BS for 15 years yeah. and it, that's it now. It's not even controversial anymore. It's yeah. like, oh yeah, we're going to do a, a pirate queen, you know, the pirate queen from coastal China. We're doing a guy in, in Mexico City, what is now known as Mexico City, trying to survive European invasion. Yeah. These are cool stories. Let's yeah, them. yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. That's, that's crazy. Awesome. It's crazy, but it's awesome too. Um, another yeah. example of that kind of a, a historical narrative that is probably not familiar to most people uh, is in the new game Last Train Home, and this is mm. a upcoming isometric battlefield strategy game uh, that is going to be covering the story of the Czechoslovak Legion. Uh, the Czechoslovak Legion. This was a group of Czechoslovakian soldiers during the First World War, who spent a lot of time uh, fighting around the world, uh, but then primarily in Russia, uh, fighting with uh, the forces of Tsarist Russia against the Austro-Hungarian Empire, which was, of course, at that time, um, dominating, controlling, uh, you know, Czech and then Slovak uh, territory. And so at the end of the First World War, as this group was fighting for the Entente powers, uh, it got caught up in the Russian Civil War between the White Army and the Red Army, the Bolshevik Army. Uh, and then as the tide turned in the Russian Civil War, the Red Army, the Bolshevik began to, uh, you know, predominate. Uh, this uh, Czechoslovak Legion had to escape Russia mm. using the Trans-Siberian Railway, kind of a very famous uh, part of Czech history uh, in particular, uh, trying to get back. Uh, to their home territories before they were murdered and destroyed uh, by the Russian Red Army. And so uh, this game is going to be uh, exploring that history. And, you know, as far as what the developers have said so far, they are relying a lot on actual historical narrative, actual mm. historical material. Uh, and this is another game that I'm sure is being supported uh, by the Czech Republic's government, which has been a big supporter for... Uh, putting historical narratives in games, you know, a lot of uh, what we've seen with uh, Charles games and their mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. their recent games, um, th those games are supported uh, by money mm -hmm. from the Czech government. And so this is probably another example, at least maybe in early seed money. So that's really, really fascinating mm -hmm. to get like this kind of smaller narrative, but then it's going to be perhaps a, a big game. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, it looks great. It looks really exciting. Yeah. Uh, and then also we have another interesting game uh, called Sand, uh, and this is developed by a group out of the Ukraine. Uh, they are actually uh, Ukrainian game developers uh, currently working in the Ukraine. Uh, and <clears throat> this is an open world survival game that is set in an alternate future 
in which the Austro-Hungarian Empire, we got the Austrian-Hungarians again, uh, had mm -hmm. discovered interplanetary travel in the eve of the First World War, kind of late 19th century. Again, going back late 19th century. Yep. Yep. Uh, and it looks like a Dune with steampunk, so like a sandy <laughs> off-world environment uh, with steampunk engines uh, and machines. Uh, and uh, the developers in kind of pre-release uh, interviews have talked about this being an exploration of industrial history before the Soviet occupation. So kind of thinking about this, uh, you know, territory, thinking about uh, Ukraine in particular, uh, before uh, the ads advent of uh, the Soviets uh, in that territory. Mm -hmm. And so kind of interesting, there's a lot of kind of, kind of naked historical exploration going on in a game that is uh, kind of an alternative future game. So mm -hmm. fascinating, it looks crazy. Uh, and then the last, teaser trailer, yeah, teaser trailer is pretty fun as well. Yes, I, yes. I giggled, I giggled like a little boy watching the teasers. Like it looks like fun. Yeah. It, just, it just looks fun. It's yeah. worth watching for the opening. Yeah, the opening look at that guy's pipe. Yeah, which is very, right. very late nineteenth century. <laughs> uh, and then lastly, but certainly not least, uh, we had the news uh, coming from Two K and Firaxis that a new Civilization game is in development Civ 6, or Civ 7, I should say. Gosh, dating myself there. Old man moment, apologies. Uh -huh. uh, Civ 7 is on the way, and this news came uh, after the release uh, by Firaxis of uh, Marvel's Midnight Suns, which didn't quite hit the mark. I played it, I enjoyed it, uh, kind of scratched that XCOM itch, uh, but recently Firaxis has been hit by layoffs as a result yeah. of the poor performance of Marvel's Midnight Sun. So it sounds like the team that's still there is going to kind of get back to basics and build another civilization yeah. game. So we'll see we'll see what happens with that. I feel for him. I Midnight yeah. Suns. I'm not I, I'm not sure why that game didn't do better, honestly. Me I too. Get it. I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was great. Yeah. Highly recommend. Yeah, I I've, yeah. I I need I need to play more of it, but it it's great. It's yeah. and it's Marvel and it's fun and I yeah, I yeah. don't understand why that game didn't do better. Yeah. Uh, and then just to wrap things up with history games, I just wanted to run down a list of recent history game releases. These are games that are already out uh, that we have not had a chance to cover on History Respawn, uh, but maybe we'll have a chance in the rest of the year to kind of take a look at some of these. Uh, and these games include Mask of the Rose uh, from Fail Better Games, the developer of Sunless Seas, Sunless Skies, etc. Uh, Amnesia the Bunker, which is a first-person horror game set in a World War I bunker that just came out on Xbox Game Pass. Uh, we had Company of Heroes 3, uh, which is set during the Italian campaign of World War II. Uh, we had the very interesting look at uh, World War II Rebuilder, uh, which is uh, kind of set in the mold of a power wash simulator uh, in which you are rebuilding post-war Europe uh, after the Second World War. I really want to take a look at that. Uh, we had uh, the medieval illuminated manuscript game uh, Inkle Nadi, uh, which I've been dying to get a look at. Uh, we had uh, Pharaoh, A New Era, which is a remake of the original Pharaoh game that came out, City Builder game, uh, from I think 1997, 98, somewhere in there. My wife's favorite game of all time, Pharaoh. Uh, Valiant Hearts, Coming Home, is the second Valiant Hearts game. Uh, that was a Netflix game, as John uh, mentioned earlier, with uh, Into the Breach. This is Valiant Hearts, Coming Home. This is a Netflix subscription game. Uh, we had The Light in the Darkness, which is a kind of long-in-development Holocaust game, which I haven't gotten to play yet. 
Uh, we had uh, Major League Baseball, MLB, The Shows, 23s, Storylines, uh, which is including a Negro League mode. Uh, and so we had taken a look at the historical modes for MLB, The Show, I think 21 a few years ago. And so now they've included uh, to celebrate the Negro Leagues uh, in U.S. baseball history. Uh, we've got a new mode focused on them, and that game is available through Xbox Game Pass. So if you've got an Xbox, you can go and play that right now, and I hope to get to that this summer. Uh, and then lastly uh, is uh, The Great War, which is a World War One strategy game, and I think it's a grand strategy game that also includes small tactical battles as well. And so this game... Got a lot of press uh, in, uh, I think, the spring when it came out, and I haven't gotten a chance to look at it, but it kind of continues uh, the story of what John was talking about, you know, these historical narratives that we never thought we would see in games, including a World War One strategy game, is now here, right? And so every time we say, this will never happen, it does, <laughs> and it just shows you how diverse and how interesting and how much momentum there is behind historical games in general. Yeah, it's crazy that there's more more than like games in general are more than ever and but historical games like how would we even hope to keep up at this point anyway even if we could you know i know i know what and you know 10 years ago when we started history respawned mm -hmm. i had no problem covering each history right. game that came out and That's now right. 10 years later there's no way i can i can go into all these games like if i was just doing it by myself no hope whatsoever and even with you i mean no hope yeah. that we could get to all these games. It's it's outrageous. Um, this is something, and I, I hope I'm not sounding overly optimistic, but like going back to Clockwork Revolution earlier and also Lamplighters League and other games and stuff, you know, there was definitely, over the last five years or so, five to ten years, there have been these phases of, like, conscious efforts to diversify the kind of stories we tell and everything. And I think that sometimes that can be clumsy, like anything can be. And now you see games, you don't even think twice about it. Like, again, go back to when the first series Respawn came into existence, Bob, and describe the lamp. If I came back in time and described the Lamplighters League <laughs> to you, you'd be like, John, what the fuck are you talking about? With all due respect. Like, that's what you would say, you know. Yeah. And I would, nobody's blinking. Oh, that looks cool. Yeah. I'll pay that. That's what, yeah. that's what the general reaction is, you know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so that does it for recent history game releases. That does it for upcoming history game releases, history game news. And so as we always do with these episodes, we want to end with a brief discussion of what we've been playing recently. We'll make this super brief because I know John wants to get to lunch uh, <laughs> as, as quickly as possible. He's looking a little peckish on the Zoom video. <laughs> uh, so John, briefly, what have you been playing recently and why is it Diablo 4? <laughs> well, just before Diablo 4 came into my life, I was playing American Truck Simulator. Mm. And I was driving down to Austin from California. And uh, it is the nerdiest thing you can do. And I love it. And it's fantastic. And I recommend it. But I've been playing a, an absolute ton of Diablo 4. You know, this is the first Diablo game that's ever really got me. Mm. And it's also the first. I've played a bunch of 3 and 2. But I played both of those after that initial. This is the first game, like, me and the rest of the world are playing Diablo 4, and I'm like, this is great. All I'm really doing is clicking, right-clicking, and pressing 1, 2, 3, or 4, and I couldn't be having more fun. Uh, Bob, what do you think of Diablo 4? I have been playing a lot of Diablo 4 as well, and <laughs> uh, in addition to playing on my own, I've got a level 21 druid named Buford, um, <laughs> and uh, uh, you can... Uh, uh, you can create a title for your character. This is something that other players can see. Uh, and so I think I, I picked the title of uh, 
uh, Loud Lout or something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> but uh, in addition to playing by myself, I had my first co-op experience uh, with my Wednesday night crew. Um, this is a, uh-huh. a, me and three other players. So we had a four-person party. And we played for a couple hours uh, last night. And boy, uh, the game is great on its own. But playing with other people, you really see the potential immediately. Oh, wow. You get to see you know, kind of the scaling that the game does so well. And we had players who had just started the game, but then some who were even further than I was. We had a level 43 character, I think. Uh, our rogue was a level 43. Uh, and so the game does a tremendous job of scaling to all of those skill sets and play types and making for a really, really enjoyable experience. And now I'm afraid to say that Playing co-op with a group of four has kind of ruined solo Diablo 4 for oh, me. Oh, no. Because it's like, oh, no. this is so much more fun. Uh, and the game itself is great on its own, but playing with another player, is just it just adds to the joy. And you get to see, you know, because as a player, you want to focus on your skill sets, you know, your, yeah, your yeah, player yeah. character skill sets. So I'm doing druid stuff. I'm turning into a werewolf. I've got wolf companions. I've got raven companions. It all looks great. But then getting to play with other people, it's like, oh, I get to see all the skills of a necromancer yeah. and a rogue. And a rogue's getting in there and they were getting all stabby. Uh, and then you get to watch like the barbarian doing its spinning whirlwind. And it's like, oh, that looks fun. And it just makes you, it makes you excited to play with other players. But then you're also kind of like, oh, I should make another player where I can, I could be a barbarian or, you know, I could be a necromancer. So it was really a lot of fun. And uh, surprisingly, uh, we were playing. Uh, the four members of our group, I was playing PC. We had uh, two people on Xbox and then one person on PlayStation. And Blizzard's networking, incredible, the kind of the standard wow. bearer, uh, was yeah. able to support that cross-platform play as well as support voice chat, which was perfect. We had no problems with voice chat whatsoever. <laughs> and it's... So in terms of... The game and the experience, it's fantastic, but in terms of just kind of the technical marvel of that networking mm-hmm. and that netcode, it is amazing. So highly recommend Diablo 4. Well, this this sounds like, you know, I'll play a game like this and it'll talk about the post-game content or, po- you know, end game, dungeons, yada, yada, season pass. I'm like, oh, sure, whatever. And already I'm thinking, I'm going to do all of that. I'm yeah. going to do all of that. I could be playing this game for years already. I think that. Yeah. And it's just fascinating because Blizzard, man, or I guess you should call them Activision Blizzard, have not been on the best run. No. And Overwatch 2 is an effing car crash. Like, mm-hmm. like, like what a disaster, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an enjoyable game and everything, but what the hell? Like, just, it, it's a mess. And so Diablo 4, I'm so pleasantly, I was pleasantly surprised of like, oh, this feels like the game. It used to be that every game Blizzard made was like this. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is the best game. Yeah. Like, this is the best game available. Like, every yeah. game they made was like that for like 10, 15 years. So I'm, I'm very pleased Diablo 4. And I mean, I haven't played a co-op yet, so I'm pleased to hear it's that much fun. Now I'm scared though. Maybe I'll maybe I'll finish the campaign on my own John, first, come, and then I come play with us. Off. We're 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 yeah, missing we're missing one of our party members next week. So Wednesday night, you want to hop it. on? Yeah, we can. Yeah, we can. I'm a druid too. I like how when you pick your character, the druid is like you could be a swarthy male or a swarthy female, but you will be swarthy. <laughs> Diablo Four has made the decision. Druids look like they hold the bar up at one a.m. That's what that's what Dru- our druids, druids are. Druids hold the bar up at one a.m. They hold the bar up at three a.m. <laughs> They hold the bar up at 5 a.m. 
and they never take showers. I mean, that's <laughs> right. Uh, pretty much their aesthetic in this game for some reason. Yeah. And, uh, and then lastly, uh, we took a long family trip recently. And during that trip, I decided not to take the Steam Deck, but instead I took my Nintendo Switch so that I could play Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, which is the follow up to Breath of the Wild, which for many people is the best game ever made. But I'm here to tell you that Tears of the Kingdom is much, much better than Breath of the Wilds. And I just finished it this week. Uh, took a morning to do it, a couple hours, but I defeated the final boss. And it is very, very satisfying. So if you enjoy Nintendo games, if you enjoy Zelda, I highly, highly recommend playing Tears of the Kingdom, which I think it might be my favorite Zelda game of all time. It, it's been a long time since I went back to Ocarina of Time, but I think I think it might be wow. the best one. We'll see. I'm not I'm not sure. And and John, you haven't you haven't started it. You haven't played it yet, right? I haven't played it yet. I wish they would take away the weapon durability thing, although I hear that's less of an issue with it's this new one. Very much less of an issue. Yeah. yeah. Um I I need them to develop the the pharmaceutical that you can that you can take safely that eliminates sleep. That's what I need because <laughs> I just I need to play that game, but maybe it'll be Christmas or something. That's that's kind of where I am. Yeah, I hear you. you know. I hear you. And, you yeah. know, it was tough for me because Diablo 4 came out, and I stopped playing mm -hmm. Tears of a Kingdom for a week and a half. And then I was like, you know, if I keep playing Diablo 4, I might not right. finish Tears. And I was right at the end. And so I just like, okay. This week I was like, okay, I'm going to buckle down. I'm going to stop playing Diablo 4. I'm going to finish this. And then it's going to be Summer of Diablo which it is yeah. right now it starts <laughs> started last night it's going to keep going it's going to go all year i think so i'm enjoying the the evergreen social media meme of like uh what is it you're you have your mount you have the house to yourself a, a bottle of mountain dew diablo on the computer the year is 2023 <laughs> you were 41 years old yeah. <laughs> it's just so, yes that's correct <laughs> that's that's me in a nutshell uh, so listeners uh, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the show again uh, we should be back with more regular content the rest of the year I can't say that we'll do more than an episode a month but I think we can probably at least put out a podcast uh, each month kind of talking about some of the history games that we've looked at and hopefully getting back to bringing on guests and you know talking more in depth yeah. about each of these games that we've looked at uh, but, you know, if you're interested in more about our show, uh, you can travel to HistoryRespond.com, which has got our archive and will include all of our new episodes. Uh, we are also still on Patreon. So if you really enjoy our work and want to support us in some way, particularly support the podcast, uh, which costs money, unfortunately, uh, please go to Patreon.com forward slash History Respond. And uh, I will, I'm going to be in the midst of kind of figuring out some new rewards uh, for patreon and see if i can't get something compelling going it's always tough uh, you know with us both being academics uh, both being parents tough to fit in this stuff to our schedule but i think it's for me at least it's really rewarding and i hope you feel the same john and uh yeah so that's where that's where you can find us yeah historyrespond.com uh, and then patreon as well and uh, i don't know how much we'll be doing twitter in the future, I need to find a new way to publicize this show. We'll see if I can yeah. figure something out. But Twitter seems kind of dead in general. But uh, that's it. So thank you very much, listeners. John, leave us with some lasting thoughts. Any any thoughts? Any any last ideas? Uh, I I had a ton of fun. Picked Druid. That's what I was. That's, that's what I'm gonna say. <laughs> 
That's it. Okay. Listener, thank you so much. And until next time, goodbye. (laughs) 